It's the Jeff Johnson Show, brought to you by OTE at ofthisearthglobal.com. Ofthisearthglobal.com. Clothing. Connection. OTE. Greetings, or as we say it right here in the South, hey, y'all. Hey, you know what time it is. It's time for another edition of The Jeff Johnson Show, a real, genuine, authentic podcast where I get to reconnect with the people and places and events of my hometown area, Charlotte, North Carolina. All right, everybody, let's get this week's show started off. Folks, now we're getting into the real deal of what all this political stuff is. You know, it it is really interesting to me after the recounts and everything that's going on that it is coming down in terms of control of things to one state and one state only. That's the state of Georgia. That's right, Georgia. I live in Georgia right now. I am in Atlanta in John Lewis's old dist- John Lewis's district, uh, Fulton County, and I'm telling you, the energy here is amazing. The things that are getting ready to happen are just off the charts, and it can be a bit confusing. There's no doubt about it. I mean, I try my best to stay up on top of these things. You know, I'm online all the time. I'm reading stuff, but to, you know, average folks, just people that are trying to get by every day, this barrage of information can be tough. So what I am going to do today is I ran upon a really good interview from the folks at 538. I don't know if you know about 538, but they are a fantastic opinion, political, sports website that, in my opinion, is a very fair and balanced site. Um, and I think you can get credible information. They've been rated as reliable and fair by many, many groups. So I think that that this interview that you're going to hear featuring a gentleman who um, is the senior writer, I think, for the AJC, his name is Perry Bacon Jr., about the Senate runoff elections in Georgia here because everything's underway now. The campaign's underway. They're spending tons of money on television, doing all these things. The interviewer's name is Galen Druk, and I've always found him to be fair. He asked some very probing and insightful questions, and I feel felt that this interview was one that could clear up a lot of things or, or bring you up to speed. So we're going to play it right now for you. And I hope you enjoy it. I hope you have a lot of questions because we've been, I've been getting a lot of questions from folks. What's going on down there? I believe that this interview does that. Check it out. You're listening to the Jeff Johnson Show. This is 538 talking about the Senate race in Georgia. Big props to them for putting this out. I'm glad I can share it with you. Here it is. Hello there, Galen Druk here. In the days since the presidential race became clear, we've learned more about the state of the race for control of the Senate. 
both in Alaska and North Carolina, it's clear that the Republican candidates will win those races. And so that sets up an environment where Democrats plus the two independents that caucus with Democrats have 48 seats in the Senate and Republicans have 50. And that leaves the two Senate races in Georgia to decide who controls that chamber. So here with me to talk about how that race is already revving up and how it might play out is senior politics writer Perry Bacon Jr. Hey, Perry. Good to see you, Galen. Likewise. So let's just start from a base level of where this race stands. I know that we already have some polling. And while people may be skeptical of polling after the 2020 election, the polling in Georgia was actually very accurate. So where do things look uh, like they are right now in those Georgia Senate races? So it's worth noting just in terms of the actual runoff itself, what happened or in the original election, David Perdue, the Republican incumbent, the one who won in 2014, got about 49 percent, 49, just under 50. And John Ossoff got 48. So he so that's about right. And then the other um, the the sort of special election, Kelly Leffler was at a the Republican total was around 49 percent. Kelly Leffler got the most of that. And the Democratic total is around 48%. Raphael Warnock got the most of that. He's the Democrat. So the Atlanta Journal had some polls out today. They were both within the margin of error, both in that sort of, both candidates in both races were around 50%. In both races, the Republicans had a narrow lead. So that sort of gives you a sense of like, that's kind of what we know. The in the first election, the Republicans basically won by one point. In the runoff, they appear to be ahead by one point, at least one to three points at least right now. This is just a very close state by all indications. And you, know, you start off thinking the Republicans have an advantage, but a very narrow one, I think. How much should we think about runoff races being different in nature from the kind of, you know, presidential turnout style race that we saw on November 3rd? Who might get advantage of the two parties and how might the electorate look different? I just think we can't predict that. The traditional view is like runoffs will have a much smaller electorate and that it'll end up being like probably more white and older than usual. That's given the traditional path of runoffs both in Georgia and around the country. I don't think that has any parallel to a race in Georgia, a a sort of a changing state in 2020. And this race, which I'm guessing might have hundreds of millions of dollars of ads run like this is you're going to have Mike Pence, Barack Obama, Donald Trump, Joe Biden, other surrogates. This is going to be like a, you know, sort of a political festival in Georgia for the next two months. So I think turnout will be pretty high. We don't know if it'll be, it'll match November, it'll match the election day, but I think it'll get closer than you would think. I don't expect a huge drop off. So that's kind of why I'm nervous about sort of projecting that right now. Yeah, in the Atlanta Journal uh, reporting that you mentioned earlier, there were some quotes from a Republican strategist who said that this is fully a turnout election and it's going to be all about juicing turnout based on ideology and it's not really a persuasion election. Is that a fair argument to make about, you know, at least the way that the campaigns will, will try to win this thing? And is that likely to be the reality of the case? I don't think so. I mean, for two reasons. So the first is it looks like Biden got about 
49, you know, he got close to 50, and Ossoff got a little bit close to 49, and um, and the Democrats combined got about 49, 40 in the other race, or Ossoff got 48. And so it looks like Biden is one or two points above the Democratic candidates, which tells me there must be some amount of voters there who, for whatever reason, may have voted for one of the Republicans for Senate and Biden. So I do think it's a tiny universe, but I suspect there is a universe of people who are persuadable voters who are not necessarily, you know, going to be for one party or the other in both races. And I and I think that matters. And so I, even though I think broadly that's true is that both campaigns will be focused heavily on turnout. And I think that's important, particularly in a state like Georgia, where you have a lot of African-American voters, about a third of the electorate, you have a lot of white evangelicals, and you sort of know which party those blocks are going in, the evangelicals for the Republicans, the African-Americans for the Democrats. But I think there is a universe of small, but a universe of voters who might swing, and I think that's important. And I think that affects the campaign strategy. So I saw Ossoff in an interview with Axios today, and he's very explicit about being he's against the Green New Deal, he's against um, Medicare for All, he's against adding judges to the Supreme Court. So those are not, I mean, those decisions he already had, but that tells me he's thinking about, is there a moderate voter who's kind of a Biden person who might back me as long as I don't seem too left? So I think there actually is some persuadable voters, and I think the Democrats in particular will try to win them. I do get the sense, watching the Republicans so far, like Leffler's and Purdue's first move out of the gate was was on Monday when they when they sent this public statement attacking the Secretary of State of Georgia, who is a Republican, saying the election there was not conducted well. And it seems to me that they didn't really name anything wrong with the election that happened there. So it seems to me the problem with the election is he conducted an election that appears to have allowed Joe Biden to beat Donald Trump. So that told me that they're really going to push hard for aligning with Trump. And I think that um, for so I think Leffler and Purdue may run a pretty base campaign. Um, But there, too, I do think part of their message will also be. You know, if you're a if you're a voter and you sort of assume that Biden will be president and the House is controlled by Democrats, I assume there might be some kind of Atlanta suburb voters who maybe don't want Democrats in control of all three. And I assume Leffler and Purdue will try to sort of hit those voters too. Maybe people who might have voted for Biden but want to check on the Democrats. Yeah, I was going to ask, what are the issues here? Is the whole message of this campaign going to be from Democrats? Hey, we need to get control of the Senate so that we can do things like reform health care or, you know, pass a stimulus plan, etc. Whereas Republicans whole argument is going to be like, we need to prevent Democrats from getting a trifecta. Or are they going to try to make this more local and talk about Georgia specific politics and not control of the Senate writ large? So a couple things. So first of all, the Republican message is going to be complicated by the fact that it doesn't look like Trump is going to concede right now or anytime soon. And Leffler and Purdue, I don't think, are going to say Trump lost definitively. So I think their message is going to be at least so far, Leffler's message has been, we need to keep our Senate majority. It has not been, you must save us from a Democratic trifecta, because they're not really conceding that's happening. And I wonder if that changes. 
But they're talking about national issues. They're talking more about that. Um, Ossoff, I saw, had a press conference yesterday talking about the health care bill and, and attacking Purdue for voting to repeal the ACA. So that's kind of the similar pre-democratic message about health care. So I think he's going to do that. So that's kind of a local. And he mentioned Georgia, Georgians who might have, have health care problems and want to keep the ACA. So he's keeping it a little bit local. Uh, Raphael Warnock is talking about health care, too. But this is a nationalized race, and I think they're not acknowledge- they're acknowledging that. So um, Warnock is having an event this week with Pete Buttigieg. It's like an online fundraiser. And then in person, Leffler had an event today with Marco Rubio. So they're already bringing in national surrogates, and Pence has already said he's going there. So I don't think anybody's ducking from this race being national. And the question might be, how left do the Democrats run and how right do the Republicans run? And I think both campaigns, like Buttigieg and Rubio, are not the most right-wing or left-wing figures, which tells me there's already some sense that the campaigns are going to try to hit some people in the, in the more center parts of the electorate. Yeah, I'm curious what kinds of national figures get brought in, because presumably both parties have national figures that wouldn't actually be particularly popular in Georgia. I mean, you think about Trump seemingly has moved Georgia to the left by dint of him being an unpopular Republican president. Meanwhile, you have to imagine that figures like Nancy Pelosi or Bernie Sanders are not also going to be popular in, you know, say, those Atlanta suburbs where Biden picked up uh, new swing voters. So, who, like, who are the parties here relying on to um, kind of do their work for them? Is it going to be Stacey Abrams? Is it going to be Mike Pence? Is it a role for Trump? Trump and Pence, I'm pretty sure, are going to be there. And so even though you could argue that Trump might lose you some voters in the Atlanta suburbs, they, I think they're betting that the turnout is going to be high. They need, a, they need him to turn out people in the rural areas. Like, you know, like Leffler is a appointed senator. She doesn't, she's, not, she's not won an election before. She's not that well known. So I would think that they're going to have Pence as a safer surrogate, but, but Trump is probably a bigger turnout, maybe for both sides. But um, I think he's going to come there. I, I'll be curious to know if Biden comes or not, because, you know, on the Monday before the election, the person who was there was Barack Obama. And I think he might be kind of the, you know, I, I think a Barack and maybe Michelle Obama will be the lead surrogates because I think they're popular both with, they're pretty popular with swing voters, but they also can be sort of a turnout for those a big people of color and younger vote uh, population there. So I think Barack Obama, I'm guessing, will be there more than once in these two months. The other big factor here, I think, and the other, there's almost an, a third Democratic candidate running here, and I think she in some ways is the first candidate running, is that I expect Stacey Abrams to have a really big role. You know, her whole thing has been Georgia can become blue, and she's been working on this for years in terms of registering voters. I know her team is pretty involved in trying to... Um, Register voters. She's helping Warnock and Ossoff. She's going to be on TV a lot. I think that she is going, in some ways, like I assume she is probably more known and more popular than Warnock or Ossoff are. So I'll be curious to see what she does and what kind of role she can play. But I think you will see her on MSNBC and CNN probably as much as the actual candidates on the Democratic side. Lastly, I'm thinking about how, you know, Leffler and Purdue accused the Republican Secretary of State, as you mentioned, of, you know, not administering 
uh, an election with integrity. There was absolutely no evidence that they pointed to in the letter that they wrote. That Secretary of State replied essentially saying as much. Is, like, the election being rigged, which is, of course, a false claim, going to be a rallying cry in this election? And to what extent are people motivated by that sense? Does it motivate Republicans more than Democrats? And also, if people believe that elections are rigged, are they liable to not want to participate? And maybe these are difficult questions to answer, but like, how does this environment in which Republicans are denying the legitimacy of this election going to play into this election that's now going to play out in two months? So in Georgia, I mean, we know in 2018, Stacey Abrams, the Democrat, sort of said the process there didn't work. And then in 2020, Democratic turnout was huge. So in that sense, I would argue that suggesting the election didn't work perfectly is is was not a demobilizing effect, at least on the Democratic side. What I think Leffler and Purdue were doing was not really to they it it looks on paper like an, an attack on the election, and that's problematic. What I think they were really signaling is there was a signal to Trump. Hey, we you know we're going to attack. We're ne- we're never going to say you lost Georgia. Please help us win. That's what I thought it was mainly like an invitation to Trump to for Trump to be able to say when, when he comes to Georgia, ah, it's a little bit unclear what exactly happened here. People say that I would have won except for X. Some people say there was cheating and I would have won. And I think then he can come and can't. I thought that was more a, a tactic to appeal to Trump. And that the Republican Secretary of State in Georgia was just sort of like left left to take the hit, sort of. And that's kind of what I think is going on here. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Well, let's definitely keep in touch about this race over the coming two months. It's going to be a busy two months down in Georgia. Like you mentioned, it's probably going to be a record amount of money spent down there. Um, but uh, that's it for now. So uh, let's talk again soon. Thanks, Perry. That was a great interview. And I hope you got some great nuggets of knowledge coming out of that. The operative thing is we've got to become engaged. We've got to know when and where to vote. Deadlines are approaching. Um, Opportunities to do this is very important. So whichever side of the fence you're on, make sure you exercise your right and go vote. We're going to be back in just a minute with more of the Jeff Johnson show, getting you ready for Thanksgiving. Are you going to get on the road? Are you going to fly? What you going to do? Here's some great tips from Dr. Collier. You probably know him. I'll tell you about him in just a minute. You're listening to The Jeff Johnson Show. Don't you dare go in. Help protect your family from flu this season by taking three easy steps. First, get yourself and your family a flu shot. It's quick and can protect you all season. Second, take everyday actions to help prevent the spread of germs like flu. Cover your cough, stay home from work or school if you're sick, and wash your hands often. Third, there are drugs that can treat flu illness. These work best when started early. Learn more at cdc.gov slash fight flu. Welcome back to the show, everybody. You know Thanksgiving is right around the corner, man. I'm telling you, one of my, I love Thanksgiving. I just love the fall. I love the fall. I love the, the winter, all that stuff. But Thanksgiving is one of those, those wonderful opportunities to be with family and friends. Now, Corona 
has thrown a monkey wrench in it. And you're hearing things from all over the place. What do I do? Do I stay? Do I go? Do I do whatever? This particular interview, which comes from the Ricky Smiley Show. I love listening to him. He's crazy. And there's a gentleman who's on his show an awful lot. His name is Dr. Collier. Very uh, well-known physician, uh, medical doctor. And he has some really good points about what you can do. So take a listen. And whatever you do. Be safe to yourself and your family. This corona stuff is no joke. Folks, y'all know I had it. I don't want y'all to get it. But let's see what they say, and I hope that each and every one of you take what they say to heed. We're talking about Thanksgiving in the corona age on the Jeff Johnson Show. EKEY with the number of coronavirus cases in the United States skyrocketing. Uh, It is off the chain. Dr. Collier, good morning. Good morning, Ricky Smiley. Thank you so much. This is a great opportunity to do what we promised, talk about how to celebrate Thanksgiving safely. This information is directly from the CDC website, so you can follow these guidelines and you can follow up there if you like. So we know that traditional Thanksgiving gatherings with family and friends are fun and even needed for mental and emotional health, but it's a super spreader opportunity and it can really increase the chances of spreading not only the coronavirus, but also the flu. So recommendations from the CDC, of course, if you're attending, wear a mask, wear a mask, wear a mask. Stay at least six feet from people who do not live with you. Now, that will also mean no hugging, no high-fiving, no kissing on the cheeks. So all of those things, try to stay uh, six feet apart. At at your table settings, you probably need to have at least every other space uh, occupied. That's going to make a major difference. Try to keep your gathering to a small group of 10 people or less try to keep the time frame of the entire encounter two hours or less. This is not the time to stay afterwards and watch football, basketball, or, you know, play cards together. Keep, either frequently yeah, watch or keep hand sanitizer readily available for those individuals. Hey, Dr. Carter, I just thought about something. Yeah. You could put one of those tents outside. You know, those tents uh, outside absolutely. with the nets around it and set you a little table up and spread everybody out where that air can blow, blow through because it's so not going to be real cold. It, That's not if it's not cold. If it's not cold. So if you're inside, open your windows if you can. If you can open the windows and try to keep uh, some fans with the air circulating. But being outdoors is the ideal situation right here. Highly unusual. Uh, vast majority of people don't have Thanksgiving outdoors. But this is the time to try something new and different. This is not the time to bring out the fine china. Use disposable everything, uh, plates, uh, utensils, and cups and drinks. And again, avoid going in and out of areas where food is being prepared. You need one or two people responsible for preparation of food and serving of food and use single-use options like uh, salad uh, dressing. Uh, 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 that's, enough, that's, enough, that's enough. That's enough. That's enough. That's too many rules, Dr. Carr. We can't do that. That's, uh, uh, you, you <laughs> just ruined my whole morning. We're just not going to have it. Okay, we're not going to have it. Well, we, Prank that, phone call coming up. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> there's a safe way in the Ricky Smiley way, which is the way most people going to do it, probably. <laughs> Dr. Carter, that's a lot. Man, I'm well, I know, Rick. Hey, and, and, and most like, people, you hey, know, Dr. Carter, you tell them dying is a lot, too. <laughs> dying is a lot, too. So, you know, the, the, the options are having a Zoom uh, Thanksgiving. <laughs> Grab your own uh, uh, reheatable uh, uh, dinner with the silver foil on it. Pull back the pot, put the potatoes, and put it inside the oven for 15 minutes. Can you get off the phone, sir? You do, do that. Yeah, you have a nice day, sir. I, I, I'm not Dr. Collier. Yeah. Dr. Collier, go, I yes, was going to take some calls, but we ain't doing it this morning because you ain't, you ain't <laughs> acting right today. 
Instead of here giving a whole recipe to somebody how to heat up some potatoes, man, go on and give it a disclaimer when we can go to the next guest because it ain't working out today. Uh, this, uh, these are the opinions of Dr. N.J. Collier uh, and Ricky Smiley in reference to uh, cooking a TV dinner, uh, not those of the, of the Ricky Smiley radio show affiliates. You can reach me on our social media at Ask ASK Dr. MJ. Go to the CDC website, find out how to host and have your safe Thanksgiving gathering at your home. Dr. Collier, don't call up here no more. We're done. I can't deal with you, <laughs> sir. Smiley. Yes, indeed, ladies and gentlemen, it is so important for us to be safe during this Thanksgiving time. Look, all you got to go to find out more information, if you want to, is just go online, cdc.com. They've got, or excuse me, cdc.org. They've got all kind of information, and that's the place you need to go. But use your common sense. You know you need to be outside. If it's too cold, you might not be able to go. The operative thing is to still celebrate this wonderful day of thanksgiving for being thankful for the things that we have with each other. There are a lot of different ways to do it, but the most important way to do it is to be safe. You've been listening to the Jeff Johnson show. I thank you so much for listening. You can get this podcast everywhere. You download your podcast. You can go to getjjnow.com to listen as well. Please send in suggestions, ideas for different shows. We really appreciate it. Thanks a lot, everybody. And we'll see you next week. It's the Jeff Johnson Show, brought to you by OTE at OfThisEarthGlobal.com. OfThisEarthGlobal.com. Clothing. Connection. OTE.